The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Would you join me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father in heaven, come now. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come now in the power of your spirit to open our eyes and our ears to see Jesus more clearly and to hear the voice of our Savior. Open our eyes to behold your glory. Free us this morning, O God, from the shackles of fear or of anxiety or being distracted or overwhelmed so that we would live our lives to see the name of Christ exalted. Do far more than we can ask or imagine for the sake of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning is our second week of Global Focus. And so we're glad you're here if you're joining in on the live stream or in the chapel. And I have two aims for us this morning. The first, at the end of the service, we're going to be calling for some of us to consider serving in vocational cross-cultural missions, long-term missionaries. So we're going to call for some of us to come up front because they feel like God is stirring in them that particular call. The second is that I want to call all of us this morning to participate in advancing the gospel wherever he's placed us. So let me expand on both of those aims. One of our yearly rhythms that we do every single year that we've done for almost about 40 years is to call some of us because God is stirring to consider cross-cultural missions. Whether you're eight this morning or 18 or 28 or 58 or 88, we want you to prayerfully consider, is God calling you right now to take steps forward in going to the nations. It's been my prayer all week long that God would raise up the next Amy Carmichael or Hudson Taylor from among this body, perhaps from our children's and youth ministry this morning, or that the next Jim and Elizabeth Elliot would be a student right now at Northwestern or Bethel or whatever other colleges and would feel God's stirring this morning. That the next William Carey would be among us. The next Ola and Minnie Hansen would be called up again from this congregation. So at the end of the service, we're going to call three groups to come forward. And I just want to outline those right now real briefly. We want all of our global partners to come up front so that we can know who you are. We want our people to be able to see you. Secondly, we want everyone who's currently in the nurture program to come up front as well. You're preparing to go. And then third, any who are feeling this fresh stirring from God to go and pursue vocational global missions. You're simply saying, I believe that God is calling me. I'm just feeling a little bit of a sense of stirring. And so I want to take steps in obedience to see if God might be, in fact, doing that. Though if you're not called to vocational cross-cultural missions, you're not off the hook this morning. I want to call all of us to participate in advancing the gospel wherever God has placed each and every single one of us this morning. We're all called to be disciple-making disciples. None of us is exempt from that call on our life. So what I want to do this morning is look at Paul's passion 
for advancing the gospel in Philippian, in our Philippian passage this morning. And the picture that I have in mind is a little bit like this. I imagine that Paul is this red-hot glowing ember that's burning with a passion for the glory of God. And so what do you do with embers? You put them in the fire pit and you put other wood around it or other coals and then you blow on it so that all the other material around that red-hot burning ember becomes red-hot burning embers themselves. And so what I want to do this morning is to put Paul in the center for us to gather around him and let the Spirit blow so that all of us would have that same red-hot burning passion for gospel advance. And our main point, very simply, is that every believer is to burn with gospel ambition so that Christ is preached and the nations are reached. Every single believer, not just missionaries, every believer is to burn with gospel ambition so that Christ is preached and the nations are reached. But I made one assumption. Why would I call Paul a red-hot glowing ember that burns with a passion with the glory of God? Is there anything in our passage that would reveal Paul's aim or aspiration? So look with me at Philippians 1, 12 and 18. I'm going to read it again, and you're going to look for anything that might clue us in to Paul's passion or desires. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I've been put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. So did you notice the repetition of the theme that Paul mentions in every single verse? In every single verse, he either mentions Jesus Christ or the message of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel itself or the word of God. And so Paul says, I want you to know what's really happened to me. And he totally skips over how he got arrested, where he's currently at, what his accommodations are like, his current health. He cares about one thing. And that's the one thing he tells them about. This is how the gospel is going forth. And so that's why we call Paul this red hot burning ember, burning with the glory of God. We're calling this his gospel ambition. He has one desire, one dream, one aspiration, and that's for the name of Christ to be preached. And so when he says, I want you to know what's happened to me, what I really want you to know is what's happening with the glory of God and the gospel of God going forth among the nations. Paul was actually even more explicit about his ambition in Romans 15.20. He says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So Paul's ambition was to preach Christ, but not just any old preaching of Christ. He has a missionary ambition to preach Christ where he's not yet been named. He wants to build new foundations. He wants to go into new territory. So our plan this morning is to ask three questions of our passage so that we can understand Paul's attitude and perspective 
related to his particular situation in his letter. We're essentially saying, what does gospel ambition in the life of Paul look like? Or what does this red-hot ember feel like? And so the first question is this. How does Paul respond to his imprisonment? Look with me at verses 12 and 13 again. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. This is the exact opposite of what we would expect. If you're the Philippians and you hear Paul's been thrown into jail, you think there goes the end of the brilliant career of this evangelist. He doesn't, he gets stopped. He's in prison now. But what does Paul say? He says his imprisonment has been a launching pad for gospel advance. Well, why? In verse 13, he says, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So just a little brief context for Paul. He's very likely writing from Rome, but others think maybe Caesarea or Ephesus, but he's under house arrest. He's likely chained to a Roman soldier. And when he says the whole imperial guard, basically all of the Roman soldiers and guards stationed in that general region as part of the Roman government, all of them now know why he's in prison. It's because of Jesus. Not because he did something bad, but because of Jesus. So what was Paul doing? He was relentlessly preaching Christ. Now imagine you're this Roman soldier in whatever area, and you've just get, gotten your assignment for the morning. You know, you're supposed to go be shackled to prisoner 12645, and you show up, and it's Paul. And the, the last guy on shift, and he says, good luck, you know, takes off his shackle. You get shackled in, and then you turn over to Paul, and you say, so what brings you to prison? What do you think he heard for the next eight hours, or 10 hours, or 12 hours? He heard about Jesus. He heard about Christ. Paul wasn't waiting for friendship evangelism. He wasn't waiting for the right time to share the gospel. He went right into it. This is why I'm here. Day after day after day, Paul gets another soldier. And that soldier goes home and he says, you won't believe what I just heard. And he tells his family, he tells his wife. And day after day, and so when Paul says, prison has become a platform for the gospel to advance It's because he's relentlessly preaching Jesus. This is what gospel ambition looks like. Even if I'm in prison, it doesn't matter as long as I get to preach. They haven't cut out my tongue, so I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Paul's chains could have sunk him into a deep depression, though. You know, he could have been really fearful. He could have been anxious. So why didn't Paul's imprisonment impair his preaching? Why? I think this is really key to understand, because if we understand what makes Paul tick, we can have that same motivation. Paul's ambition was not mainly a comfortable life. He didn't live thinking, how can I get the most comfortable existence for the next 80 years of my life? Because if he would have, prison would have been a real big dampener on that plan. But what was Paul's ambition? It was the gospel being preached and going forward. Look with me a little later in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And I'll actually read it starting at the back end of 18. He says, 
Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you see that? That's Paul's motivation and ambition. As long as the name of Jesus is honored, I don't care what happens to my body. I could live, I could die. It makes no difference. This is the burning ambition of Paul. That Christ would be exalted. That the gospel would go forth. That it matters. That Jesus matters more than his comfort or his reputation, which we'll see later or prosperity. Paul's chief concern is not with his ability to move about freely, but for the gospel's ability to move about freely. He was actually, he said the same exact thing in 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So there's chains on his arms and legs, but the gospel continues to go forward. That's the type of gospel ambition that I'm calling for this morning. Not just for missionaries, but for every person here this morning. Let me just illustrate this with one hero of the faith that I had the privilege of meeting. I remember I was in college. I was on a mission trip, we were in China, and we were trekking through the flooded streets of Guangzhou, China. And we went up to this really unassuming house, which was a house church. And inside, there were hundreds of people packed together like sardines. It was the complete opposite of social distancing. Everyone sitting shoulder to shoulder, literally touching shoulders on these tiny stools, and on all three or four levels of this house, patched in with loudspeakers, you listened to this little man by the name of Samuel Lamb preach. And afterwards, he shared with us in pretty good English, he said he was imprisoned for 20 years. He went into jail, a young man came out, an old man. 15 of those 20 years were in hard labor because he would not register his church with the Chinese government. When he was finally released, he said, well, what do you think I did? And we said, well, what did you do? And he said, well, I just went back to what I was doing before, which is preaching the gospel. And they arrested him again, and and they would let him out. And every time he was arrested, he said his church would double. He would say, the authorities tell you not to come back, but you can do what you want. And then they would come back, and they would bring friends. And his church grew from 900 to 4,000, with services nearly every single day of the week. People packed in to hear this man preach. They would come to arrest him and beat him, take all of his Bibles and hymnals. And he said every time they came, the church grew larger. What was his ambition? It was to see the gospel advance, even in the midst of imprisonment, persecution, and beatings. He relentlessly preached Christ. And why can Paul and others like him preach Christ even in imprisonment. Because Jesus is our superior treasure. When Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain, he's saying that dying in service to Jesus is better than 80 years of trying to get as much stuff as possible, get as much comfort as possible. 
Following Jesus in the path of obedience, wherever he might take you, is better than just trying to accumulate in this life. And then once you die, your kids are going to have to sort through all of it. They don't want any of it, and they're going to have an auction, and it's going to be sold on pennies for the dollar. Paul's saying it's better to have a gospel ambition, the superior pleasure of knowing Jesus. This call that we're giving this morning for some to consider cross-cultural missions or for others, all of us really, to participate wherever God has placed us with gospel ambition is not a call where we're trying to kind of pull out your teeth like a visit to the dentist. It's going to be painful. No, it's a call to take hold of greater joy in Jesus. It's a call to behold that this life is only worth living when it's sold out for Christ. What will sustain missionaries and global partners as they step out into hostile mission fields? Or what's going to sustain parents who send their 20 and 30-year-olds and their grandchildren into mission fields? Only a gospel ambition that says, I treasure Christ and his glory more than everything else. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Jim Elliott, famous missionary to Ecuador, put it this way. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So how does Paul respond to his imprisonment? He preaches Christ all the more. So that's the first thing we learn about his gospel ambition. Now, question two is how do others respond to Paul's response to his imprisonment? How do others respond to how Paul responds to his imprisonment? Look with me at verse 14, and here's a second surprising thing. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Again, this is the exact opposite of what we would expect to hear from Paul. He says, I've been thrown into prison, but what's going on with everybody else? They're not afraid. They're much more bold to speak the word without fear. So how did they become confident in the Lord? Paul says, they've become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Is it specifically his imprisonment? Like, oh, Paul's been arrested, now I'm really confident. I don't think that's exactly, but I think there's one other step, which is that Paul had a courage and boldness. They look at Paul, and Paul's saying, hey, prison's really great right now. I'm shackled to this guy. He's getting Jesus for eight, ten hours, and then the next guy, and then the next guy, and the gospel's going forth, and the whole imperial guard. Everyone is finding out about Jesus. The gospel is going into new regions. Paul used to go to the synagogue, and Jews would come and listen to him, and then he would get kicked out, and then he would minister to Gentiles. But Roman soldiers very likely wouldn't come listen to him. But now he has a captive audience. The gospel's going forth into new, unengaged territory for him. And he's saying, look, look, the gospel's going forward. And so Paul's confidence in the Lord, Paul's courageousness is contagious. And so that's why everybody else is much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so why without fear? Paul's fearlessness is contagious. And the reason Paul is fearless is because he truly believes that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul doesn't care whether he lives or dies as long as the name of Christ is preached. And for us this morning, when we stop fearing things that are frightening, then we can become effective evangelists for the Lord. Let me just share one account of how God uses courageous courage to advance the gospel. 
The Iranian Revolution of 1979 established a really hardline Islamic regime in Iran. And it was during those next two decades that there was lots of persecution and opposition. All the missionaries were kicked out. Evangelism was outlawed. The Bibles in Persian were banned. And then several pastors in the Iranian church were killed. The church came under tremendous pressure. And most people thought it's not going to survive. It won't survive that. But the exact opposite happened. Since 1970, Iranians have become the Muslim people group most open to the gospel in the Middle East. And we might ask, well, how did that happen? I think a main part is that Iranian Christians, in spite of persecution, suffering, being killed, have continued to boldly and faithfully tell others about Christ even in the face of persecution. And check this out. More Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries. More Iranian Christians, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries since Islam came to Iran. In 1979, they estimated about 500 Christians in Iran. They could all fit in this room. And today, They estimate hundreds of thousands or perhaps even a million. That is the stunning power of a burning hot ember that ignites other embers with a passion for the glory of God. When you see someone else living out to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's not just something I have on my coffee cup or on the wall, but I'm going to live it out with my very own body. That becomes contagious to all those who look around and say, I believe that same thing. I too want to live that way. Take away my unbelief, Lord. And so there's, though there's no threat of imprisonment here in America, not yet at least, no threat of chains or being beaten, I know that fear is probably one of the greatest obstacles to our witness today. We, we, we fear being ostracized. We fear getting canceled. We fear that we're going to get fired. We fear, we, we fear making things awkward, or we fear we're going to be labeled one of those weird Christians. But I just felt this rebuke this week, and I want to share this with you. I think we need it all. We need to let the example of the Apostle Paul and the example of Samuel Lamb, and the example of Iranian Christians, and the example of hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world for being afraid to share the gospel. There's nothing to fear. All they can do is kill you, and then you get the carpool lane to heaven. Expedited service. There's nothing to fear. And we have been placed here in the Twin Cities, wherever God has you, so that we can minister. In the same way Paul was chained to a prisoner, or not to a prisoner, he was the prisoner. He was chained to a soldier, and they couldn't get away, and so he preached Christ to them. Some of you are stuck at your job and in your neighborhoods. They can't get away from you easily unless they sell their house, and you have an opportunity. God has sovereignly, providentially put you there so that you would be this red-hot burning ember for the glory of God so that you would be able to say, I don't care about awkwardness. Let's let the gospel advance. Let the gospel move forward. Let me lean into the lives of these people so that Jesus would be made known. This ambition is what we need, not just on the mission field, but on the home front as well. God's people have the greatest message in all of the world. 
And we have the greatest strength, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit himself. And we have nothing to fear because we're destined for eternity with Jesus forever. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. God has numbered our days And it's better to go out in a blaze of glory for the sake of Jesus with gospel ambition than to whittle away our lives watching Jeopardy and The Price is Right. In, as we grow increasingly infirm, Paul's ambition frees him to see imprisonment as a platform to preach Christ. His confidence in God, his fearlessness in God, is contagious for others. And the third question is, how does Paul respond to those seeking to afflict him? Look with me at verses 15 to 17. We see two different groups in 15 to 17 and how they respond to Paul's imprisonment. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I have put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So there's two groups. One group shares Paul's love of the gospel. They preach out of love, probably love for Paul, but also love for the same gospel that Paul loves. And so they preach out of goodwill. But there's the second group that's preaching from envy and rivalry. We see that in verse 15. Look with me at verse 17. They they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, thinking to afflict Paul. So what do we know about this group? We don't actually get much information. He doesn't say that they're preaching a false gospel. He doesn't say that they're sheep in wolves, or he doesn't say they're wolves in sheep's clothing. He doesn't say that they're adding or subtracting to the gospel. It seems like they're preaching the true gospel, but just with wrong motivation, out of selfish ambition. They want to make a name for themselves. They see Paul being stopped, and they say, this is our opportunity to get the biggest platform. And so we get this stark contrast. People who preach out of selfish ambition and then Paul who's driven by gospel ambition. And see the stark difference. Paul says, I want the gospel to go out no matter what. Even if I'm on the sidelines. Even if I'm not the one speaking the words. Even if people aren't coming up to me. It doesn't matter as long as the gospel goes forward. And there's these others saying, Let's find the right time to sneak in there so that we can get the most followers. Selfish ambition. So contrary to the nature of the gospel. But it's this attitude that Paul has where he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. He doesn't say, I'll just kind of unwillingly accept it. Okay, I guess they're preaching. I guess that'll be all right. Kind of shrugs his shoulders. What can I do? I'm in prison. No, he says, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to have joy. Because why? Because it's the gospel that is going forward. Paul has this gospel ambition such that even if he's not on center stage, he wants Jesus to be on center stage. And this is the type of attitude and perspective that is going to be needed if we're ever going to finish the task of world evangelization. Why do I say that? Because Paul's attitude of whatever it takes for the gospel to to advance is going to be so needed. Most of us this morning, we don't expect everyone to come up. 
most of us are going to stay. We're going to be senders. We're going to be givers. We're going to be rope holders. But I think there's a tendency for those who are not called to gospel ministry to sit back and to say, wow, look, look at those who are going out. That, that's really a significant cost. Or, or to maybe even in our heart of hearts to say, I, I don't want to get one another, another missionary prayer letter asking for money or, or whatever it may be. We might be a little bit squeamish about, like, I kind of want to really be, be kind of in the front lines. And, and I, I'm just not happy if I can't do that. And what Paul is teaching us with his gospel ambition is that as long as the gospel goes forward, I can rejoice, even if I play a supporting role. For most of us this morning, that's going to be us. We're going to play that supporting role. For some of us, it's going to be raising up children or your grandchildren, encouraging them along the way so that they would go to the nations. The attitude that we are to cultivate is we want to see the gospel go forward no matter what, no matter even our role in it. And this is hugely important, not just to be senders, but for us right now here in the Twin Cities. We have a task. We're not just on cruise control, and then we'll kind of turn on gospel ambition if we're called to go overseas on a short-term trip. And then I'll be really bold to share the gospel. No, right now, live with gospel ambition as we huddle around this burning ember, we're to become burning embers that burn with the passion for the glory of God so that we say, whether by life or by death, I want Jesus to be honored in my life, whatever it may be. Even if I'm on the pathway to death, going to chemotherapy treatments and radiation, oh, there's nurses and doctors that need to hear you speak of your greatest hope, which is not them, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we had three questions that tried to get at what does gospel ambition look like? How does Paul respond to his imprisonment? He preaches Christ all the more. How do others respond to Paul's response to his imprisonment? They're much more bold to speak the word without fear. They preach Christ. And how does Paul respond to those seeking to afflict him? He rejoices because Christ is being preached. This is the epitome of gospel ambition. As long as the gospel goes forth, I'll be happy. I can rejoice. So how do we go from people who care a lot about our creature comforts to becoming like the Apostle Paul? I've thought, you know, living here in Minnesota a couple of times now, oh, it'd be really nice to have uh, those heated seats in cars. You know, you press the button and the heat rises from the seat. You know, these brutal Minnesota winters or maybe even a heated steering wheel. I think a friend of mine was showing me their steering wheel and I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. Or maybe even one of those remote control starters for the car so you don't have to get into a cold car. But how do we go from people who would prefer those creature comforts to preferring preaching Christ with the risk of being thrown into a dark, damp, cold prison? Only if we can capture this gospel ambition so that we're overcome by the glory of God because we see the riches that he has for us, the joy that he has for us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Only when we're overcome with this reality that to live is Christ, that whatever 
time I have in my body, I want Jesus to be honored. And to die is gain. To truly see it as gain. Even if I don't ever get married, even if I never have kids, or even if I never get to see my grandkids, as long as Christ is proclaimed, I have a chance to magnify Jesus. Only when we believe that reality can we have this gospel ambition. And so this call to sidle up next to Paul and to feel the heat of this glowing ember is a call to take hold of greater, infinite, all-satisfying joys that are found in Jesus Christ. Don't drink the, the muddy water that collects in the dips in the pavement in the parking lot when Jesus offers you springs of living water. All those who follow Jesus in the path of obedience will never be disappointed, will never be shortchanged. He gives you all that we need and more. So God has placed us wherever we're at so that we can burn with this gospel ambition and to see the gospel advance. And this gospel ambition is not just for missions and for missionaries, but it's for Christians. It's to be true of Christians. So let me just close with why this feels so incredibly weighty for me this morning. I've shared this before, but I'll share it again. Just even think, actually, last week we heard from an Iranian-American Christian. That would have been unthinkable to say those words. 200 years ago, calling us to the nations. This morning, you're hearing from a Chinese-American pastor, your pastor, to call you to the nations. That would have been unthinkable 200 years ago. Both would have been in the 1040 window, and you would have been praying for people. So God is on the move, drawing people to himself. God is gathering for himself a people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. And this hits so deeply home for me because There was a missionary by the name of Robert Jaffrey. He was born in 1873, and he was the son of the owner and CEO of Canada's Toronto Globe. His family was very wealthy, and today it's the Globe and Mail, and so it would have been like the New York Times, the most widely read newspaper in Canada. And his dad wanted him to become the CEO and to take over the family business, and he says, Dad, no, I don't want to do that. And he says, I want to go be a missionary to China instead. And his dad says, well, you won't get a single cent from me. And so he goes, and he serves for the next 45 years, spending 32 of those years in China. He labored in China, Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, and the Philippines, while living with a heart condition and diabetes. And just as an aside, your health ailments do not limit God's effectiveness and use of you wherever he might send you. Just imagine the health care they had in whatever that was, 1900. Not the greatest. He served for 45 years. Uh, During World War II, he was captured in Indonesia by the Japanese, and a month before the Japanese surrender, he died in an internment camp. God saved my great-grandfather in China through his ministry. My great-grandfather went on to graduate from the Alliance Bible School. He became the first ordained minister in the Guangxi province of China. His two sons followed in his footsteps and served as pastors and evangelists, one of which was my grandfather. So I don't take it for granted that God is calling people to himself, that I'm a fourth-generation Christian because someone said, there's greater treasures in Christ 
in the path of obedience than inheriting this earthly fortune. And I don't take it for granted that this morning I'm calling some of us to do the same. To put aside whatever earthly riches that might be awaiting you. To say that there's a greater inheritance in heaven. That there's greater joys on the mission field, even if I die in an internment camp for the sake of Christ. God is gathering people for himself from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And he's not done yet. There needs to be more. And so this morning, would you join me in praying that God would give all of us this gospel ambition wherever he's placed us. And then a unique grace for those who are called to go overseas so that there would be more gospel advance. And so the kingdom of Christ would advance. Jesus would be preached. And then the end will come. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.